from Integral Life. Welcome to Everyone is Right. We often hear now that women die as often from diseases of the heart without calculating the fact that, yes, men die of diseases of the heart, but at a much younger age. And all of these 14 out of 15 areas of uh, death are being much higher with men. And yet, the important thing to understand in this context is that we have seven federal offices of women's health and zero federal offices of men's health. Can you imagine the sexism that we would be accurately accused of if women died five years earlier than men and died earlier of 14 out of 15 of the leading causes of death and we had seven offices of men's health and zero offices of women's health? It's not conceivable that that would be the case. Right. Yet uh, that is the case. And more potently, no one is protesting it and very few people even know about it. That was Warren Farrell, who recently sat down with Ken Wilber for a three-hour discussion of his new book, The Boy Crisis, co-written with John Gray. In this discussion, Warren and Ken take an in-depth look at the many social, cultural, and psychological challenges that young boys and men are facing today, while noting how many of these challenges are the products of well-intentioned, but often misguided, feminist praxis. Not that feminism is inherently hostile to men. Far from it. As Warren notes in his book, many prominent feminist leaders over the decades have understood the critical role that fathers play in their children's development and psychological well-being. He quotes Gloria Steinem, who famously said, what the world needs now is more women at work and more dads at home. He also recalls Betty Friedan's popular book, The Second Stage, which was a call for men to consciously begin the same process of self-liberation and redefinition of their roles and identities that women have struggled with over the last century, going so far as to say that the major goals of feminism can never be fully attained if men are not also engaged in an equivalent praxis on their side. As the saying goes, if you only row the boat with one oar, you're just going in circles. As the era of Me Too continues to put a spotlight upon the many pressures, indignities, and injustices that women face in the public sphere, Farrell and Gray are bringing some much-needed attention to the pressures, indignities, and injustices that men are also experiencing in the private and public spheres and in their private lives. So check out this first segment from Ken and Warren's discussion and consider becoming a supporting member of IntegralLife.com in order to hear the rest of this three-hour conversation. Hello. Hey, Warren. Ken, I am looking so forward to talking to you. I'm so sorry that I was um, a little delayed. I've had a tooth extraction and bronchitis combined, and so I've been trying to recover in the in-between things that, I've, that I'm responsible for. But no one understands this better than you do with all, the, all that you've been through uh, health-wise. Health this stuff about getting older, what, what was the alternative I, I yeah um, <laughs> none. Dennis Leary used to always joke. He would say that you know when you smoke, and he says so smoking takes ten years off your life. But who cares? It's the last ten years. It's the last ten years. Right, exactly. Well, talk, we've got another crisis on our hands, and it's the top of your recent book called "The Boy Crisis," and John Gray contributed a section to it on handling AHDH. 
your book is subtitled Why Are Boys Are Struggling and What We Can Do About It? And it it could be subtitled, you know, say the world's the largest unacknowledged nightmare. And as usual, the the, the stuff you're doing is is countercultural in the best sense, meaning that you give enormous amounts of evidence and really carefully reasoned arguments for truth that basically aren't really known well in culture. This was all the way back to to your book on the myth of male power and father and child reunion. I mean, just an enormous number of topics. The boy crisis really is serious. And you say, as the chapters on the evidence make clear, boys are declining in a dramatic way in virtually every key metric. And that means educationally, economically, emotionally, uh, in reference to drugs, crime, suicide, physical health, mental health. And all of these areas and more, boys are crashing big time. And we're going to go through this, but it really is alarming. And and what's worse, very few people seem to know about this, although the evidence is fully available and, and overwhelming. But it's really quite serious, isn't it? It is amazingly serious, and, and the, the sadness that you just sort of responded to about few people knowing about this, and as you know from the, the myth of male power, we as boys and men were always trained to be thought of as heroes as, as a result of being able to be willing to be disposable, disposable as warriors in war right. and disposable in the workplace. And, and when, you're, when you train somebody to be disposable, if your son or daughter if your son has to be disposable potentially to be a hero and your daughter has options, you are, you're fearful to a greater degree of it psychologically attaching to your son who you may have to on some unconscious level let go of in order to really think of him as being wonderful and extraordinary. Right. And, um, the same, you know, with not just, not just in, in war, but also in the workplace, all the, you know, 93% of the people who die in hazardous jobs are, are males and, um, right. uh, an even higher percentage of people who die in the residuals of the hazards, meaning like the, the black lung disease after, um, being a coal miner or being a firefighter or from pesticide poisoning that doesn't kill you necessarily on the job, right. uh, but shortens your life afterwards when you're flying a plane over, um, farm, farm fields and getting the residuals of the pesticide poisoning coming into your brain. Um, and so all of this is, has led us to not caring a great deal about what happens to boys because our survival was dependent, our survival as people was dependent upon boys being disposable. And so if your survival is dependent upon somebody else being disposable, it's really hard to get into caring a great deal about their health and them protecting themselves, even though we also feel a different way, which we all want our sons to be safe. And you see this in, you know, in things like football, you know, you're out there cheering for your son to be, uh, you know, to get a touchdown and, you know, and going first and ten, let's do it again. what, and what exactly are you doing? You're risking spinal cord injury, concussion, uh, dislocated shoulders again and again, and you're cheering for your son to do this. And then, of right. course, if your son goes to the hospital, you're really hoping he'll get better, and you care enormously about his safety. And, and girls send flowers, and, um, and the cheerleaders do as well. And then at the same time, you're saying, all right, now you're better. Go back and do it again. So for the first time, we've begun to care about boys because... Boys who hurt, hurt us. 
They're hurting us in two significant ways, in school shootings and mass shootings on the one hand, and also they're they're hurting us um, by being uh, almost all of the ISIS recruits are dad-deprived, are, are boys that, are ha- that don't have fathers to be able to guide them through the uh, journey um, right. from boyhood to manhood. And so now that boys are hurting us, via joining ISIS and getting involved in, in shootings, we're beginning to pay attention as to maybe something's happening with boys. And Oh, yes, they're hurting girls, too. The, the Me Too movement is saying that they're, that they're terrible as well. And so, okay, what is happening with boys? Um, but it's still mostly boys as the oppressors rather than, um, than boys as vulnerable. Yeah, well, exactly. And all of these factors have come together in a really disturbing way, and you detail most of them. And so we're just going to go through and review basically what, what you're saying and, and the ideas that, that you're advancing. This is, again, this is incredibly important stuff and, again, almost unknown in, in the culture at large. So as you go through the various areas in which we see these problems arising, you start with the crisis of our son's mental health. You say, the rate of mass shootings has tripled since 2011. Our daughters are not killing. Our sons are. The murder-suicide combination of school and other mass shootings is largely young white boys' way of driving off the cliff at the end of mental health torturous road. The National Academy of Sciences reports that increase in suicide among white males led to as many white males' lives lost to suicide as have been lost to AIDS. Between 15 and 19, boys commit suicide at four times the rate of girls. And between 20 and 24, the rate of male suicide is between five and six times that of females. By the time they're 85, you point out later, that's jumped to 16 and a half times that of females. I mean, that, that's just horrifying. In a certain sense, there seems like there's sort of nothing more indicative of quality of life than, than rate of suicide. That's not looking good. No, you're absolutely right. And, you know, when you think of, you know, boys and girls are inherently different in this area in the sense that, you know, at the age of nine, boys and girls commit suicide at exactly the same rate, and, right. and it's very minimal. And it's only as a combination of testosterone that in- increases it during boys and adolescents combined with their role and combined especially with their role and not knowing their role, meaning, which sounds like a contradiction, but their role is often to perform, but they don't often know how to go about doing that. And so there's a sort of slippery slope when boys don't, um, in the old days, boys had a very clear sense of purpose. Uh, You prepared to become that hero, either as a warrior or as a worker. And so it's wonderful that boys have more flexible senses of purpose today and in the sense that they don't need to necessarily go to war. Uh, many fewer boys are needed for war, and many fewer boys are needed to die in the workplace. So, uh, And boys can get approval from fathers and families when they have more flexibility in their roles. So for the first time in human history, 
voice has a potential to be treated as human beings rather than as human doings. It's just right. having to, to prepare themselves to do something in order to be worthwhile. That's the good news. The bad news is that there's a purpose void, that the old senses of purpose to be that hero, to be that warrior, to be that uh, full-time soul breadwinner are no longer definitions of masculinity. Now, right. that's extremely good news for boys who then have a father to help them have a role model, to help them discover who they are, and be also able to discover not only what is fulfilling for the boy, but also how do you make a living doing what is fulfilling, or how do you give up a little bit about what is fulfilling in order to make a living. And so what is that combination of responsibility for your future family combined with doing the things that are fulfilling because as we you and I have discussed before the more fulfilling the occupation the less it pays on the average and right. so when you when you encourage a boy to be a full-time writer artist actor you're in, oftentimes pushing him down the road of, of not of being a starving artist or so on and right. so boys have had so the boys had this opportunity but we have two things happening simultaneously that only integral people will really understand almost immediately. And one is a culture that is no longer giving boys a secure definition of what their purpose is. Right. Combined with a very high percentage of boys, who know, about a third of all boys in the United States, who have significant periods of time as they're growing up, not having the guidance of a father. And so girls today have two very different phenomena happening. They have a culture of multi-purpose girls and women. You can be full-time uh, involved with the children. You can be full-time involved in the workplace. You can do some combination of both. And that's been what the women's movement has offered to girls and women. And they have also have that many girls and women are living with single moms, so they have a female role model combined with a culture of multiple expectations, the female role model, the mom, can help them discover themselves and, and, and help them focus on what part of themselves they want to pursue, the, the career part, the child, raising children part, the raising money right. part, or the combination part. Whereas boys are missing those two things. They're missing a culture that says you can be anything you want to be. It's more like wait and see if you're going to have children and you're going to be a father. Um, and if, the, if your wife wants to work full-time, then uh, you have one role. If your wife wants to be full-time involved with the children, uh, you're, going to be, you're going to have to be, uh, magnify your, your sole breadwinner role. So you don't have a culture telling you be whoever you want to be. And you don't have a father in a third of the cases in the United States telling you how to get to be the, the best combination of human being and human doing that you can be. And so these two things together have led about a third to a quarter of our boys to be in, bo in the boy crisis mode. They're almost always boys that are products of either divorce, where their fathers have not been more involved after uh, the divorce, or children um, born to mothers who have not been married. And we know now that in 40% of cases where even the mother and father live together when the mother is pregnant, the father after two years, uh, sorry, after three years, is no longer involved with the, chi with the child uh, the great majority of time or at all. 
And right. in these two segments of the population, the boys in, uh, who are children of divorce without father involvement and those boys who are children of uh, mothers who have not been married, who have minimal or no father involvement. Uh, and that's the, those are the two segments of the population that are experiencing this enormous boy crisis and the suicides. And the suicides come from an extraordinary slippery slope that happens when you don't have fathers. When you don't have father involvement, there's usually much less likely to be postponed gratification. Without postponed gratification, there, the boy doesn't have the ability to focus on doing what he needs to do in order to get what he wants to have. So he doesn't, he gets distracted rather than finishing his homework. He gets distracted by texts or by video games and he doesn't get his homework done. And then he starts feeling ashamed of himself that he's not as good as his, as his uh, male peers and female peers. When it comes to boy-girl time, girls don't go out with losers, so he doesn't find himself being attractive to, to girls. He starts becoming, he withdraws into video games or video porn. That makes him more and more depressed and addicted to either the, the games or the porn, which only reinforces his lack of success. And that leads to shame and further withdrawal and um, inability to feel like he's respected by his peers by or by his teachers, not getting any awards in school. He may have talents in things like basketball or football, but he can't discipline himself to do the drills that are necessary to make himself one of the best. And so he sees himself failing in every area. And in worst-case scenarios, he le- that leads to depression and suicide. And in the very worst-case scenarios, he becomes so angry at the people at school who don't see the sweet and lovely parts of him uh, that he that he can potentially take to school shootings to sort of make himself visible for a short period of time. Right. So it is a, a sort of a murderous reaction arising and either turned in on himself or aimed directly outward. After looking at mental health crises and suicide, you look at it uh, in, in crime. You say there's probably no better evidence of the increase of the boy crisis as a mental health problem than the fact that the U.S. jail and prison population increased by more than 700 percent between 1973 and 2013. Of that population, 93 percent are male and disproportionately young. We often allow that the disproportionate percentage of young black men in prison might reflect our racism, but rarely contemplate whether, since the other half of black men is men, that it may also reflect our sexism. And, and it is sexism, isn't it? It really is sexism. When we, you know, I am very strong supporter of the Black Lives Matter movement, and you know, people who don't understand that black black males, black people are more vulnerable to being picked up and you know, sought out by a, a police officer and you know, brought, a, brought aside and, and questioned. Um, just really haven't lived uh, among people who have had that experience. So Black Lives Matter, yes, but 24 out of 25 of the people that are shot by police officers are males and not females. And a high percentage of them are black males, but it's, uh, the, the percentage of black males that are shot and killed is only slightly more than the percentage of white males that are shot and are killed. And so, but whereas the percentage of, 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 of males uh, that are killed versus females is a 24 to 1. And we see right. it's the, the black lives loss 
that's visible to us. And the 24 to 1 ratio of males versus females' lives who are lost, I would bet that 99% of people don't even know that statistic. Hey, it doesn't even dawn on people. And that problem is, is really just the start. You move on to physical health, and in physical health alone, males die significantly earlier in 14 of the 15 major causes of death. And, and that type of disaster is sort of repeated in, in every other major area of life, as, as we'll see. But health really is disturbing. I mean, disease of the heart, cancer, lung diseases, accidents, stroke, Alzheimer's, diabetes, influenza, suicide, blood poisoning, liver disease, Parkinson's disease, 14 out of 15. And it's not even a, a cultural issue. Exactly, and you know, certainly intentional self-harm, you know, suicide, and and you know, just things like um, um, it, we we often hear now that women die as often from diseases of the heart without calculating the fact that yes, men die of diseases of the heart, but at a much younger age, and all of these 14 out of 15 areas of uh, death are being much higher with men, and yet the important thing to understand in this context is that we have seven federal offices of women's health and zero federal offices of men's health. Can you imagine the sexism that we would be accurately accused of if women died five years earlier than men and died earlier of 14 out of 15 of the leading causes of death and we had seven offices of men's health and zero offices of women's health? It's not conceivable that that would be the case. Right. Yet uh, that is the case, and more potently, no one is protesting it, and very few people even know about it, even though this data is available to, you know, is available as uh, by doing something as easy as looking up the Center for Disease Control and finding it. Well, and that's part of, of the of the truly alarming nature of, of the crisis is this absolute sort of thunderous cultural silence about this. You're just not even allowed to mention any way at all that males are disadvantaged or that boys are being treated unfairly. The same thing extends into what you call the death professions. You say every day 150 workers die from hazardous working conditions and 92% of them are male. So these death professions include oil rig, lumberjack, welder, roofer, construction worker. Uh, in other words, basically the construction of the entire infrastructure of this country. And you say, in aggregate, these jobs might be thought of as glass cellar jobs, all male, because it's almost exclusively our sons who are willing to risk death so their family will have a better life. You don't see feminists fighting to get women into those jobs either. No, we hear, and this is really one of, I think, the, the greatest um, injustices. You, you hear feminists talking about the fact that, we, uh, that men earn more money uh, first for the same work. And we know from our previous discussions, yes, men do earn more money than women, or do they? Actually, it's not men that earn more money than women. It is dads who earn more money than moms. And is it for the same work? No, it's not for the same work. It is for 25 different characteristics of involvement in the workplace. 
So uh, it is true that uh, a woman with an art history degree may not make as much as a as a um, garbage collector uh, who doesn't even have maybe a, a bachelor's degree, might right. even have dropped out of high school. But then you ask yourself, you know, what do you need more of? Do you need your garbage collected more, or do you need more information about the piece of art you have on the wall um, right. uh, more that you can get on Wikipedia? And, right. you know, the average person needs that garbage collected more than they need that information of, uh, from art history. And so, right. yes, females who are art history majors are more likely to be women with college degrees who earn less than that male garbage collector. Uh, but all these things are not factored in. We have this broad um, belief that men earn more because they have more male privilege, not the types of jobs that men take to earn more money, even things that women can do very easily, like um, be an Uber driver or a Lyft driver. I think it's seven out of eight Lyft drivers and Uber drivers are, are males. Uh, right. This is something that anyone can apply to do. But if you, I'm sure if you break down among taxi cab drivers, it's a similar ratio, about 10 to 1, actually, among taxi cab drivers that are, that are males versus females. And in the inner city, the, the percentage of females that are ca- taxi cab drivers get less. And then in the evening times, cab drivers have the highest rate of homicide of any um, profession. And they, they are much less likely to be males than females, even though the, the male rate of a cab driver committing, um, being a victim of homicide is not greater than the female rate. And yet, um, so we, so we find that very few women in a job, an area that takes no more muscle, uh, than males when it comes to inconvenient jobs, hazardous jobs, uh, jobs in inner cities, uh, work, working at night as a cab driver. The, uh, the, the woman is much, much less likely to apply for these jobs. And so take a Lyft or an, um, an Uber, uh, and the next time you do, or a cab, and ask the cab driver or the Uber driver how many hours a week he or she works. You'll usually find an answer between 60 and 70 hours a week. And if you ask them, you know, do you do this because you have more, more male privilege? Um, or if you're a female driver, do you do this because you have a special amount of female privilege? Right. Uh, you'll just get laughed at. <laughs> and, um, right. and so, and, and yet the, the, the belief that we have circulating in the culture is that men earn more money because they have more male privilege without calculating the, the difference between uh, these 25 different ways that men and women work, only one of which is the, the, the huge gap in hazardous jobs uh, that men take versus uh, women take. Well, and, and when you actually compare men and women, you did a whole book on this. When you actually compare men and women and you compare category to category, you know, exact type of work, how many hours do you work, how much education does it take to get a job, et cetera, et cetera. When you actually compare apples to apples and oranges to orange and not apple to orange, as, as most of those do, then in every one of those categories, women make as much or more than men. I mean, there was a recent survey of 150 of the largest cities in America, and it found that in 147 of the 150 cities, women out-earned men for the same work by an average of 108%. And in some of the largest cities, it was 117%. Uh, But you never uh, hear about that. And in a sense, that's exactly part of of the boy crisis is nobody knows about it. 
Yes, exactly. We still hear, you know, President Obama saying, well, it makes 77 cents to a dollar. That's just categorically false. Yes, it really is. And if, if, you're, if you're listening to this and you're not familiar, this is, all this data is in the Why Men Earn More book and what women can do about it. And it's really important because we really hurt women when we don't understand that women have the ability to earn as much or more for the same work, the same amount of hours. And I'll just give you one example of this. And so the data that you read says the types of things that, you know, the, the 72 cents or 79 cents to the dollar. But women who have never been married and never had children, when compared to men who have never been married and never had children, both of whom have equal education and numbers of years worked, the women today out-earn the men by 117%. That's right. the average for never married women who have never had children. Right. And what what is more surprising to people is that women who have never been married and never have had children have out-earned men who have never been married and never had children by uh, since the 1970s. This is not a new statistic. And right. so um, it, they haven't out-earned men by as much as they have recently, um, but they have out-earned men significantly. So many people say to me, well, maybe this is because we don't value women enough, um, and so women um, earn less for those reasons, or that women just plain really work harder than people appreciate. So the, a good way to test that is by looking at women and men who own their own businesses, because if it's a boss that doesn't value you, uh, then women who own their own businesses, who are the boss, would then clearly earn more than men who earn their own businesses. If right. discrimination from above was the difference. Right. But when you compare women who own their own businesses, and you even control for women and men who both have MBAs, so you're not just taking uh, educated men versus uneducated right. women or the, or the other way around, then men who own their own businesses versus women who own their own businesses, the women earn 49% of what men who own their own businesses earn. And yeah. so what we, so you one asks, my God, how could that be? Why is that? And when you survey women and men who own their own business and you ask them, what do you want out of owning your own business? 70 some odd percent of the men say, I want money. 26% of the women say, I want money. Um, what the women say they want is, is to have more flexible time, to have be their own boss, to be ha to have fulfillment, um, right. to uh, to have time with their family and friends, right. um, and uh, and and spiritual time and and, a, and, a, and athletic uh, time for exercise and so on. And this is uh, so it's a different set of values that leads the woman to getting exactly what she wants, which is a more balanced life with right. being able to be in charge of that life. Right. And so, uh, versus what the man learns, which is that if I'm going to support my family and I'm going to be respected and successful, I should feel pressure to earn more. And so what the feminist movement hasn't gotten is that men earning more than women is part of discrimination against men. It is the society's pressure on men to be required to earn more in order to be eligible for marriage and especially to be a father and have children and to be able to give women the options to be able to to either work from home or work full-time or do some combination of both. Right. And part of the, the whole problem of, of approaching this is 
the desire for a lot of people, well, I'll touch it by saying many people, will look at a situation between two groups, and if they see any differences at all, any distinctions at all, they assume it's due to oppression. Yes. And so any other factors that might be playing a role in that, such as dad-deprived families or number, even simple things like number of hours that you put in, if you look at, the, at, at what male and female physicians earn, for example, male physicians tend to earn a bit more than female physicians. But males put in, just like you're talking about, by choice, they put in about 20% more hours. Than, yeah. than the average female physician does. And so, of course, that's going to show, but that's not counted. They really don't look at some of these background causative factors. And as you point out in this book, things like fatherlessness in a family isn't just correlated with a lot of the problems that we'll be talking about. It's directly causative. And that's one of the main things that you look for in, in social sciences is the things that go together are correlated. They're not necessarily causative. This is causative. But if you're looking for just equal outcomes, if all you want is both groups to have exactly the same thing, flat out, then you're going to overlook any of these underlying causes. And then, of course, you're not going to really get at the problem. If there really is a problem in, in why these differences are there, if you don't acknowledge the actual cause of those, you're never going to be able to cure them. It's like trying to cure AIDS without knowing about HIV. But that's so much of what we see, and it's truly part of a, a genuine problem here. It, it really is. And if you're a woman listening to this, and it's, I mean, it's really clear to me, and I'm sure to you, that you know, if you're a heterosexual, you know, part of what you want in life is men who are worthy of your love, and and that you don't have to just be fixing men who are failures to launch. And so the the boy crisis is really your crisis also. And if you're a parent, whether you're a mother or a father. You know, you want your son to be productive and, and you want him to be happy and not depressed and not withdrawn and not suicidal. And all these things are things that, uh, that, uh, that you have an interest in as well. There's no parent that I know of that's, the, the, you know, that says, I'm just hoping my son becomes a failure to launch. Uh, there, it's a, a real, um, you know, it's a concern for all of us and, and to say nothing about, you know, national security, um, the, uh, when, when I did the study, uh, when I looked at the studies of ISIS recruits and found that three sociologists who did studies of ISIS recruits didn't even ask the question of whether the recruits, um, had, what their relationship was with their father. Right. But it, got vol- it, it got volunteered by the recruits so often that they went back and constructed a question on that and re-asked the question with that, uh, with the, did the, redid the interviews with that included. Right. And they found that almost every boy and among the smaller percentage of girls that were ISIS recruits, almost all of them had in common more than any other single thing, a lack of father involvement. What, right. What I came to right. call in the, in the boy crisis book, uh, dad deprivation. And so, and, and it was not just, of course, ISIS recruits, it was also the, you know, boys who uh, did school shootings and boys who did mass shootings. Among the mass shootings, among the deadliest mass shootings, the 28 deadliest mass shootings since 1948, 26 out of those 28, uh, the new Texas shooting being an exception, one of the two that are not the case, were lack of father involvement uh, was a significant player and connected with the boys who did these, uh, the deadliest of the shootings. Deadliest of the shootings are defined as eight, between eight and 58 killed by, wow. the, by the mass shooting. 
Right, Jesus, that's alarming. We hope you enjoyed this excerpt from Warren Farrell and Ken Wilber's recent discussion, The Boy Crisis. If you'd like to hear the rest of this fascinating three-hour conversation, we invite you to become a supporting member of IntegralLife.com.